Welcome to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. You can also check us out online at realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Okay, so, wow, that is, uh, that's awesome. I love that. Okay, um, so good morning again. Uh, I made the long trek from four feet to here. Um, I got to admit, I like coming from the back a little better. It's kind of like an awkward transition to like, I don't know, this is weird. Uh, anyway, um, like this is why Barry doesn't play, even though he can play guitar, and y'all should all make him play guitar more. Um, but that's a whole nother day. It's a conversation right there. So um, the last time that I was up here, I gave Pastor Barry a hard time about how he kind of drug his feet and said, nah, you do what you want to do, you do what you want to do, and then at the last second, or actually, no, I'm going to give you what to do, and then at the last second, I was like, nah, you just do what you want to do, right? So I gave him a hard time about that. Uh, this time, he gave me, uh, and uh, Mr. Harrell uh, that spoke last week, he gave us our, our kind of our assigned topic in the Summer Baggage series uh, like two months ago. Uh, I actually was given this topic before I was given the free reign to do the graduate Sunday thing. So it was like this weird kind of overlap going on. Um, but it was really funny because he assigns me the topic of jealousy and envy at a time that I was, well, very jealous and very envious of some friends of mine. And I was dealing with that personally, and he sends me a message. I'm like, are you you're joking, right? Like, is there a different topic? Can I talk about literally anything else? Can I talk about hell? Can I talk about, like, the weirdest part of Revelation? Can I talk about, like, who Melchizedek is? Like, can I, can I, can I talk about literally anything other than this because I am dealing with it myself? And uh, I didn't actually ask that. I just sucked it up and said, okay, fine, let's do this thing. Um, so full transparency. Um, if anything is said today and it steps on your toes, I'm not sorry. Uh, mine are still healing from where I was getting my own toes stepped on, okay? So that being said, just full transparency. This is not, I have my life together, get your life together. This is, man, we all stink, and let's talk about it. Um, y'all good with that? Are we, are we? Am I allowed to do that this morning? Yeah. Okay, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, I want to pray for God to uh, speak because... Well, if I talk, it's just offensive, but if he talks, it's convicting, and there's a difference there. So let's, um, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, um, even when it hurts, uh, even when it's convicting, even when it's challenging. God, thank you for uh, giving it to us and for it being constant. God, we change and we adapt and we, we think we figure things out. But Father, you have had it all figured out from the beginning and you are the creator and you are the author and you are never, ever, ever changing. You are your constant. And so I pray that these truths that run from Genesis all the way to today, Father, would be seen and heard clearly um, and that it would not be my words. Um, because, Father, honestly, in my flesh and in myself, I say, hey, you know what? Just go ahead and go for it. But, God, I thank you for saving us from that and from those toxic thoughts. And I pray you'll be with us this morning and allow the words that come from me to be from you. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. So, um, those of you who went to camp, what book of the Bible did we spend a lot of our time in? Genesis. Well, guess what? 
the assigned passage that Pastor Barry gave me to start with is Genesis 37, verses 3 through 11. And uh, we actually talked about this at camp. So it'll be a nice little refresher for you camp goers. And for those of you who didn't go to camp, it's probably not new material for you. So real quick, uh, Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 through 11. Um, So before I read this, let's just kind of lay some historical framework here, right? So we we have the garden, and we have Noah, and we have Abraham, right? We good with Abraham, Father Abraham had? There you go. Okay, so some of y'all grew up in Baptist churches, and, and you, you, know, you did the song that I still don't know all the words to. It's like, Father Abraham had many sons, and then my brain just melts, and I don't know the rest of it. But some of you are like, da 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 Okay, anyway, I can know the melody. I just don't know how the song actually goes. I don't know the words. But anyway, so from Abraham, we get, from, oh, well, okay, physically, who are the sons? You have Abraham, and his promised son is? With some confidence, Isaac, and then Isaac has two sons, and the one that we follow is Jacob. Yeah, he's awful. Uh, he's actually so bad that God changes his name and names him what? Israel. There we go. Okay, so Joseph, this is actually verse 2. Uh, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of two names that I can't pronounce and his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Joseph was a tattletale. Sometimes we read the stuff about Joseph, we're like, oh, Joseph's so sweet. No, he's not. Joseph's a jerk in his young days. Like, he's a punk. He's the little sibling that we all wanted to beat up. And some of you are like, what? If you're questioning, that means you are the little sibling. Um, Now, Israel, Jacob, Israel, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to mine." His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream. I feel like we're in like Les Mis or something now. Um, Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed. Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now, we could spend weeks unpacking everything that just happened right there. We're going to focus on one point. How did Joseph's brothers feel about Joseph? They were, it's, Literally the topic of the week. His brothers were, thank you, jealous, okay? Remember, sixth grade teacher, I need you to speak out with confidence. I need to hear you. I need you to take ownership of your answers, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, It doesn't work in sixth grade classrooms either. Um, Anyway, yeah, they were jealous. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to be clear about before we move on from this and get into our, our topic of the day. First of all, Joseph 100% gets special treatment. 
no way around that. He gets the easiest jobs. He gets the best gifts, this coat of many colors and all that fun stuff. I mean, Joseph is the favorite son. There's no denying that. Um, Custom of the day says that he shouldn't have been. It should have been, you know, the oldest or at least one of the oldest. And Joseph is like way down the line. And yet he's still, he's the favorite. And and we can unpack why. But regardless, he's the favorite. And it's very clear he's the favorite. So you can understand why the brothers would be offended, why they would be jealous. You can understand it, but that's actually one of the things that we're going to talk about today is just because it makes sense doesn't make it right. Because there's a point here that I want to make sure we hear. Does it say that Jacob only loved Joseph? Does it say that Jacob didn't like his other sons, that he cast them aside, that he gave them the worst jobs and said, get away from me, I banish you, leave my presence, I only want Joseph. Does it say that? No, it just says that he loved Joseph more. Now, growing up in the 90s, one of my favorite TV shows was Boy Meets World, and it still is one of my favorite TV shows. Um, And some of you are like, yeah. Some of you are like, I've never heard of that before. And, you know, it's fine. It doesn't really matter. You don't need the context of the whole show. Uh, there's this family, because, you know, that's how every 90s show was. Um, and their jobs don't match up the house that they live in, but that's a whole other point. Uh, anyway, so you have the dad, Alan, uh, and you have the two boys. You have Eric and you have Corey. And there's a daughter that changes, like, in season three, and, like, her age is never consistent. And, you know, 90s sitcom, it's fine. Um, so we find in this one episode... You have Alan, the dad, outside playing basketball with Eric, and they've been playing for apparently like an hour or so, and, and Alan's exhausted and he's tired, and, and so they, they finish their game, and it's like this like super father-son competitive thing. Well, Corey has walked out and seen the end of this, and he's like, well, I want to play. And Alan's like, I, I can't. I'm like, I'm, I'm tired. Like, I, I got to go, go do other stuff. And Corey's like, well, why won't you play ball with me? Like, I, I want to play ball. And in this conversation, you, you see that, like, Alan has a relationship with Eric that he doesn't have with Corey. Alan and Eric, the older brother, have a very active relationship. They play basketball. They, they go on hikes. They go, like, climb mountains. Like, they, they have a very active, very physical, very, like, let's go do stuff relationship. And so Corey pouts and whines and complains and like actually pushes his dad down trying to get the basketball from him. Like, it's this really weird thing. And so in the episode... The dad's like, okay, fine. Like, I was going to go skydiving with, with Eric. I'll, I'll take you instead. And Corey's like, yeah, that's what I want. I want. I want that relationship with you. And so they get in the plane, and they're going to go skydiving. And then Corey freezes up because he doesn't want to do this. This isn't something he enjoys. This isn't what he likes. This isn't, that's, not, that's not his build. See, he was jealous in the moment of his brother and that relationship and what he thought he was missing out on, but in reality, like, that's not even what he needed. That's not what he wanted. What we find out is that for every hike that Alan goes on with Eric, there's a long car ride, and there's a trip to a museum, and there's a trip to uh, the Capitol building, and there's, there's, like, these intellectual relationships that he has where they have really weird, not weird, but very serious, in-depth conversations, and they have... Uh, they talk about politics and philosophy and like they talk about serious things because what the father has realized is Eric needs that, that physical pal companion and Corey needs that mental companion. 
And so in Corey's little pity party, he's all mad and upset and like, why won't you, why won't you play ball with me? Why won't you do these things with me? And then when he gets what he thinks he wants, he realizes, this, this isn't, I don't want this. This isn't even what I like. And, and what I've been learning over the last couple of months is that I think we do the same thing with God a whole lot. And we, we whine and complain, and I want what they have, and I want what she has, and he has, and, and they have, and why is my life not like theirs? And, and God just sitting there like, because that's not what you need. Because that's not, that's not how I built you. That's not how I designed you. That's not, that's, that's not what you need. You're just seeing something and think it's perfect, and you want it, but in reality, you don't need that. So, so I, I went full... Good old Southern Baptist on this one. And I got three points, and they all start with the same little, uh, I got the alliteration going on here, right? So we got the crisis of envy, jealousy, envy, interchangeable terms, the, uh, um, the cause of envy, and then the cure. So, right, like we're going to just, we're going to Southern Baptist this way through. It's going to be awesome. Uh, so the crisis of envy. We, let's just lay this out here. Bunch of quotes. Uh, Shakespeare uh, said, Oh, beware, my lord, of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. Another quote for, Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Another quote says, As iron is eaten away by rust, so the envious are consumed by their own passion. Another one says, Do not spoil what you have by desiring what you have not. Another one, envy and jealousy, twin sisters, come with the cunning of the fox to steal away our peace and our happiness. And envy is the most stupid of vices, for there is no single advantage to be gained from it. See, this is one of those topics that when you mention it, you're like, That's an, I, don't, I don't struggle with that. That's not my problem. I'm not, I'm not a jealous person. I'm not an envious person. I'm going to challenge that you probably are, but we're going to get to that in a second. I want to make sure we understand before we go any further with where does envy and jealousy come from and what do we do about it. Let's, let's, just, let's understand like the havoc that it wreaks. Do you gain anything by being jealous? No. What are you, what are you going to do? Like, you don't get anything out of that. Like if I'm angry and I punch a wall, okay, my hand probably hurts. It was a very stupid act. But there is a little bit of that, like, that release of, like, I I hit something, right? Like, I I let out that frustration. You get nothing out of jealousy. Nothing. There is nothing gained from being jealous and envious. There is no single way for us to sit here and and, and, and justify it and go, well, at least I get that. No, like, it just eats at you. It takes away your peace because all you're worried about is what everybody else has. It takes away what comfort you should have because you're thinking about what, what else is out there, what the next thing is, what the biggest thing is. Um, and it eats, and it eats, and it, it eats. Uh, the crisis of envy and jealousy is that it grows, and it grows like a plague, and that it just eats away at everything good in our lives. Um, with... Uh, with jealousy and envy, James says in uh, chapter 3, who is wise and understanding among you? Okay, so James is talking about wisdom. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So I was looking at this and I was like, wow, that was really pretty straightforward stuff. It says that there will be disorder and there will be bad actions, vile practices. You, your, your life will result in chaos as, as jealousy and envy eats away at what you do have. But there was a little footnote and I went and followed it. Wisdom for James is not merely intellectual, but also behavioral meekness of wisdom. And it says, meekness was considered weak by the Greeks, but Jesus elevated it to a primary Christian virtue. Meekness comes not from cowardice or, passive, or, 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 or passiveness, but rather from trusting God and therefore being set free from anxious self-promotion. And, and this this meekness, this, this, and, and I think in our, in our culture, like the Greeks, we view being meek as being cowardly and being quiet and being so passive that you get stepped on and, and you can't be meek in today's world because you'll never get ahead. You can't be meek because you'll never make a sale. You'll never get that job. You'll never get that promotion. You'll never, you'll never get anything if you're meek and quiet and timid. That's not what it's talking about. What it says here is that there's a meekness in our wisdom and that we understand that we understand nothing. And that we fully trust in God. And it is from that point that everything else that we're going to talk about today is going to flow. That, that this, this whole envy and jealousy thing, it comes down to a lack of trust. I need this and I want this and, and I want what they have and I want what they do and, and I want to be what they are. Because I don't trust God and, and what he's done and what he's doing and who he is in my life. If we're being honest, if we'll, if we'll look in the mirror and really be honest and truthful, all the jealousy and all the envy comes from a lack of trust. See, jealousy and envy, they're, they're gateways to anger. I get mad because I don't have what they have. I, I get depressed because I feel like I'm a loser. I feel like I'm nothing. I feel like I'm not good enough because I don't look like or I don't sound like or sing like or run like or, or make the money that, that so-and-so makes. And I, I don't have what I see them having, and so I must be nothing. And we fall into depression. We have anxiety. Am I good enough? Am, am, am I going to get there? Am I, am I going to get that, that next bigger house? Am I going to get that next better job? Am I going to get that, that, that perfect relationship? Am I going to be that, that, that picture-perfect, you know, Hallmark Christmas movie relate, uh, romantic relationship? Why do I always bring up Hallmark Christmas movies up here? I got something I need to work out. Like, I need to go see somebody about that. Um, but seriously, I, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but there's this, like, anxiety that comes with looking at everybody else and, and trying to keep up with it because every time you think you're getting there, the bar raises again. You're like, okay, well, I've got to get to here. And then as soon as you get close, the bar raises again. It's like, well, I've got to work some more. I've got to keep going. And, and then uh, if we want to be really honest, we get into this jealousy and envy and we keep going down this thing. And that's where we end up with problems in our relationships. We end up with 
with people doing things they shouldn't do and saying things they shouldn't say because if you trace it back to its origin, there was some jealousy and there was some envy. And so I want to really quickly talk about a couple of types of jealousy and envy because I know for, for me, a few months ago, I was like, I'm not a jealous person. And the God was like, yes, you are. So let's, let's, let's talk about a couple of these. And, and again, like I said, if you get your toes stepped on, that's not my fault. As I sit here and debate even saying this. Anyway, so types of jealousy and envy. So first of all, we got the dreamers. We got the I wish I hads. I wish I had that house. I wish I had that job. I wish I looked like that. I wish I looked like I did when I was 20. Uh, I, I wish I, you know, I, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. Nothing is ever good enough. I wish I had the newer house, the bigger yard, the better lawnmower instead of the push mower that I got to go home and push all day. Maybe a tomorrow. I don't know. Uh, I wish I had, I wish I had. It's the dreamers. Then we have the one that, that, Me and God had to go round and round about on this one. Because I don't want to say it. Because I know that somebody somewhere is going to think I'm attacking them. And I'm not, because it was hitting me. Uh, What I call, what I decided to label projectors. Um, We have people who plant jealous and envious thoughts in others. Mostly their children. You should be like so-and-so. Why aren't you hanging out with so-and-so? Why weren't you invited? Why didn't you try out? Why didn't you make the team? Why didn't you this? Why didn't you that? And you start projecting these things, and what happens is there's now inside of your kid or your colleague or your coworker or your whatever, because, I mean, it's, I've, I've done this, and I've been this, and I've been underneath it, and I've been the one doing it, and so I'm not speaking as if I've got this one together at all, but we have people that project jealous and envious thoughts into others where there was nothing at all, conversations just constantly in your head of why aren't you this and why aren't you that and why aren't you this and why aren't you that and why aren't you with them and why aren't you doing this and why haven't you tried this and why haven't you done that and all of a sudden now in that person's head is all these jealous and envious thoughts that weren't there to start with but now they're comparing themselves to other people. Which leads me to my third type of jealous and envious people, the comparers. And if you ever go in Pastor Barry's office and turn around immediately, he has a little whiteboard, and on it it says, you will always lose the comparison game. Always. If I compare myself to anybody else, I'm going to lose. Because people show you what's fake, and they hide what's real. And so what happens is you're comparing your real to their staged. You're comparing your real to their filtered. You're comparing your real to their, y'all hush and be good while we walk in here. And all of a sudden the family looks all happy and like everything's fine and they get in the car to leave and they go back to fighting. Kids are bickering and mom's like, smile! And they smile and as soon as it's over they smack the other kid again. It's fake. And we know it's fake. But we still look at it and go, why is my family not like that? Why don't I look like that? Why don't I sound like that? Why don't it's it's there's so much fake and it's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting more easily accessible. And so we we have all these different types of jealousy and envy. Where does it come from? What's the cause of it? So um 
One quick, uh, one quick quote. Jealousy lives upon doubts. It becomes madness or ceases entirely as soon as we pass from doubt to certainty. So for us as Christians, our jealousy and our envy, like I said a while ago, comes from a lack of, of trust. We can sing the songs, and I'm so guilty of this. We can sing the songs that say, all of you is more than enough for all of me. I just want you, and I want more of you, and I'm hungry for you, and I want you, and in reality, I kind of want you to park right there and let me do my thing, but be there as my safety net. And when you treat God like a safety net, you're not standing firm on him, and therefore you are covered and fully broken in doubt. Because if we fully trust God, fully trust God, and that means that we are accepting and taking ownership of the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are made in the image of God, that God has a plan for us, that God has a purpose for us. And if the God of the universe knows me and has a plan for me, who am I to doubt that? Well, I'm a guy who must not trust him. For just being honest. Jealousy and envy comes from a lack of, of trust. Because when I don't trust God, I don't know who I am. Because I'm incomplete. And I start trying to, to piece it with other things. I start trying to figure it out in some other way. And I start trying to, to, to make it make sense when in reality it does not make sense apart from God. And so I become jealous. Because the more that I'm not trusting God, I means I'm trusting in something else. I'm trusting in me. I'm trusting in other people. I'm trusting in, in some other standard. And so I'm not, I'm not looking at where do I stand with God. I'm looking at where do I stand in our culture and in our society. Do I look like what I'm seeing? Or do I look like what God tells me I am in the scriptures? Where's my focus? See, the cause of jealousy is that it's in our nature. It's a part of our sin nature. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4, I'm not going to actually read it all, but this is where Paul does the whole, uh, he, he's talking about his uh, spirituality, and, and he's, um, not his spirituality, the, the, the people in Corinth, their spirituality, and he's saying that, that they're, they're babies. He's very blunt, and he says, You're, you are spiritual babies. You were, and you still are. You, you, you can't have hard teachings. You're not ready for it yet. I can't give you deep conversations. I can't give you deep teachings because you're not ready for it. You're spiritual babies because, and these are the two things he points out, because jealousy and strife are among you. Because you're all jealous. You want to be like everybody else instead of trying to be like Christ. And if you haven't figured that one out, then you're still just a spiritual infant. Like, I just got to keep just, like, giving you, like, softballs and helping you try to figure it out and get a couple of, like, little minor wins and victories in Jesus and start realizing, wait, Jesus is what I need and not the world. You're so caught up in jealousy, you can't move on from it. it, it it's, but it's our nature, and that's what we're working out of. And Paul, uh, man, I, I love this. It's one of the most confusing things, and I, I think I, probably every other time I preach, I talk about it. Paul does this, this little rant where he says, I don't do what I want to do. I don't follow God. But I do what I don't want to do. I sin, and I'm jealous, and I'm, I'm, I'm angry, and, and I, I, I want what everybody else has, and, and I want to give in to, like, I, I, I keep falling back to my nature. 
I want to follow God, but I don't. I want to be obedient, but I'm not. I, I, I want to trust him, but I don't. Instead, I, I doubt, and I give in to anger, and I give in to jealousy. And so Paul's just laying out there like, there's this constant war, and I always lose. Because it's in our nature. In Galatians, it's, jealousy is listed as one of the works of the flesh. It's a part of, of who we were before salvation. But man, there is good news. Man, there's good news. We're supposed to be works in progress. And that is the beauty of Christianity. Is that we, praise God, are not a works-based faith. We have a God who sent his son to die for us and dwells with us as the Holy Spirit daily. And he convicts us, and he challenges us, and he encourages us, and he walks with us, and leads us, and pushes us, and he, he is constantly there. And, and, and he, he, is, he is our hope. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel really hopeless because I realize that no matter how hard I try, I'm just spinning my wheels. I don't ever actually get anywhere. I uh, had to replace our sink, kitchen sink. That should be an easy thing. We decided to get a slightly bigger sink. So, okay, I replaced the sink. I got to move a couple of pipes. I got to, no. Because every time I got one thing fixed, there was two more problems because whoever put our house together just needs to be fired from their job. But anyway, um, I ended up redoing the entire plumbing underneath my sink and having to redo the whole thing all the way down to the shutoff valves. Like, it, was, it was a mess, and I don't know how to do this stuff. Like Me and YouTube were really good friends uh, a week ago. Um, there were lots of, of videos that I had to watch and then watch again and then just go ahead and save it because I'm going to come back to it because that's just not my skill set. Like, I'm, I'm, that's not me. Um, I didn't grow up in a house where my dad was always fixing stuff, and so I didn't see that. Um, my wife did grow up in a house where her dad can fix everything, and he just like kind of makes fun of me sometimes about it. I'll call him like, hey, what's this? He goes, broken. Thanks. <laughs> Super helpful. Uh, but he's, he's very much, he's, he's there to help me and support me, but from a distance, it's more like, yeah, try this. And so then I just go back to YouTube. Um, but I feel like that in life so much, where I think, okay, I got this problem fixed, and now there's four more problems. I'm just spinning my wheels. I'm not making any progress. I'm not actually getting anywhere. But man, praise God, I'm not the one making me fit for heaven. I'm not the one trying to meet that standard. I'm not the one trying to make myself holy. That's not my job, and praise God for that. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We are works in progress, and we are going to be works in progress until the end. And if that isn't good news to you today, then we need to have a different conversation. But it's understanding that you're not supposed to have it all together and have it all perfect, have it all figured out. Paul, one of the greatest teachers and missionaries of all time, is like, look, I keep doing what I don't want to do. Like, I keep messing up. Like, this is, I'm the guy who writes the things the preachers always talk about, and I mess up. We are works in progress, and we're going to be. But some of us are 
the road crew where we start the job and then don't really do anything for weeks. And they come back and go, why isn't the road finished? Well, because you were like, hey, God, fix this part of my life. And then he fixed a little bit. And you're like, thanks. And you go back over here and you go back to trusting yourself. And God's just sitting there waiting like, mm, okay. Whenever you're ready, I'll, uh, I'll work on you some more. I'll chip away some more whenever you're ready. Guys, there's a cure for envy and for jealousy. First uh, Corinthians 13.4, I think it's going to be, yep, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, and it is not arrogant. Um, love is one of those words in, in, in the world and in Christianity that is just such a weird word because it gets used to describe how I feel about tacos, but is also the word we use to talk about how we feel about God. And, and, and so I just want to be very clear that when we say we love God, do we love the fact that he saved us or do we love who he is? I think that's the distinguishing point. Do we love him or do we love what he did for us? Do we love him or do we love getting blessings? Do we love him or do we love not having to go to hell? And if we truly, wholeheartedly, are in love with Christ, then we will be patient and we will be kind and we will not be envious, jealous people. And so, um, cheesy as it may be, the answer for how do we get over this whole jealousy and envy thing is love. And it's two-part. It's, it's, two it's twofold. It's, it's a true, not just words, but true love for Christ. But then it's also it's love for other people. So, uh, in Ephesians three fourteen through 21, um, it, it, there's this long passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But, but it talks about how God gives abundantly more than we can even fathom. That what he gives is, is beyond what we could ever wish and ask for. And so what, what I, I've, I've got for us is, is this, this idea here that We compare ourselves to other people and we are jealous of other people or other things and we are envious and we want and we feel like we should have because we don't stop and, and listen to what Scripture says and what God says where he is very clear that I have given you abundantly more than you need if I am your focus. Now, if your status in the world is your focus, then yeah, you're going to always want more. You're going to always want more and shinier and newer. If I am your focus, you're going to see that you have more than enough. If I am your focus, you are going to see that what you need to serve me and what you need to love others on behalf of me and what you need to be happy is not stuff, it's me. And so our jealousy and our envy, Again, comes back to just this lack of trust. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. He wants you, all of you. Not part of you, not Sunday you, not, not when you're sad you, not when things are hard you. He wants 
all of you. He wants you to obsess over him. He, he, he wants to be our obsession. He wants to be our goal. He wants to be our dream. He wants to be the thing that we wake up excited about. I get to serve God today. And that is so hard for us because please don't take this as anti-American. It's not, but we are in a culture that says, go get yours. We are in a culture that says it is all about the money and the status and where you are with other people. And God says it's all about me. It is all about you laying yourself down and wanting me and obsessing over me. And as you obsess over me, that's when you'll enjoy the other things. You want to be a good husband? Love God. You want to be a good dad? Love God. You want to be a good worker? Love God. If your love is on him, then you will work hard and you will be kind and you will be patient and you won't be eaten up with jealousy and envy because you realize that you have more than you could ever fathom in God. So the answer to how do I stop wanting what everybody else has is realize that I have more than I could ever need. I have the God of the universe wanting to spend time with me and giving me abundantly more than I can fathom. And so while my family may be messed up or my finances may be messed up or I may be unhappy with different parts of me and there's all these things that if we look at them and focus on them, they will eat us alive. The answer is extremely simple. And it is said over and over and over and over and over and over in Scripture that we set our eyes on Him and we don't turn away, we don't look away, that we stay focused on Him. And so, my, my, my questions to end with today, are not questions, my, my little kind of step-by-step action steps for us here. So how do we deal with jealousy and envy? First and foremost, love focus on Christ. Does that mean that it's just going to go away and never happen? No, of course not. So what do we do? First of all, call it out as soon as it flares up. Because jealousy and envy typically starts with something small, and you don't deal with it, and it just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows, and it eats at you, right? So call that junk out as soon as you feel it inside of you, which is hard because that's admitting that you're messing up but admitting it immediately. Admit that you're jealous and you're envious. Actively stop and start naming all the blessings in your life. Ask yourself, are you comparing yourself to Christ's example or to culture's claims of what you need to be or do or have? And thank God for giving, and this is the hard one, thank God for giving whatever it is that you're jealous about to the person you're jealous of. When you see that house that your friend has and you wish you had it, which is, uh, that's where I was. I was so frustrated about my house that was one of the biggest things I was doing with a couple months ago I was just like what like he's younger than me he shouldn't have a better house than me like this is dumb like why this and why that little pity party me and and God was like hey why don't you stop being such a jerk and be happy that a friend of yours has been blessed and then take a look at your own life and realize Your life is not bad. You're just comparing yourself to somebody who has a different blessing than you do. You know, back to Boy Meets World. Son had a great relationship with his dad. It just wasn't the same as somebody else's. And so he got all upset and all offended. And then he realized, oh, wait, I don't actually want this. We love God and we trust God. We realize that what he says is what he means. And we have abundantly more than we could ever possibly need. I want to pray for us.
and the band's going to come back up and, and we're going to sing. And I, I, hope that, I hope that as they sing, you'll, you'll reflect um, not because of anything I've said, but, but just reflect on your own life and, and, and ask God to point out your weaknesses, your areas of jealousy and envy and lay that junk down. Don't, don't carry it out the doors. And, and if that's something you really struggle with, man, ask somebody to be like, hey, look, I, I know I'm going to struggle with this, and I don't want to. And so can you pray with me and pray for me, and can you check in on me, and can you hold me accountable on this? Um, there's a lot of sins we do that with, and for some reason, jealousy and envy, we're like, no, it's not really that kind of thing. No, absolutely it is. Like I, I, we, we, we are a church for a reason. We are a body of, of a body, collective, heads and fingers and toes, and, and we all need to work together on this. And so, um, man, lay whatever you need to lay down, down. Don't carry it out. And praise God that we get to be works in progress and don't have to be perfect right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for your kindness and for your mercies and for your grace. God, I thank you so much that I don't have to be perfect, that I don't have to meet some, some standard, that there's not this picture of this is what a Christian has to be, but God, that all you say as a Christian is somebody who has surrendered to you. God, I pray that you will fix our eyes on you. From the newest believer to the one who has trusted you for the longest, God, I pray that you will convict us and encourage us to look at you, and God, that you will hold our attention and that you will hold our focus, God, as you hold our lives. And if there's anybody in here, Father, that does not know you, that has not experienced you, I pray that they hear the words that you are a jealous God and that you want them, that you want their life and you want their heart and you want their mind and you want their everything. God, let them experience you today and see how wonderful you are. Lord, we pray these things in your holy and powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please visit our website at realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Until then... God bless and remember to love God, love others, and live real.